there guys before we continue with the rest of the episode i'd just like to point out that this is a completely unscripted unplanned off the cuff bonus edition episode um, it's going to follow a different format to most of the others so please bear with me i hope you find it interesting and engaging nonetheless it covers very important topics regarding music industry legal stuff and video game related stuff as well so please carry on listening guys hopefully you enjoy it and if you'd like to listen to more stuff like this please let me know uh, with, without any further ado, let's carry on with the episode. Hello guys, welcome back to yet another edition of the Infernal Symphony Pestilence Podcast with me, of course, your host, Demonic Bishop. As uh, many of you know, but for a few of you possibly don't know, I am the band leader of Infernal Symphony, which is a UK-based one-man band. It's a solo metal project which basically covers the spectrum of everything from progressive metal to avant-garde metal to uh, death, doom metal, black metal, dungeon synth, and so many other genres. We're a very, very eclectic band, and uh, this is... Uh, of course, season three of the podcast. So uh, I'm actually trying to figure out exactly which episode we're up to at the moment um, because I'm kind of recording this. It's a bit of a spur of the moment episode uh, uh, this week, guys. It's been a bit of an interesting uh, time period over the past several days. Um, there is actually a pre-scheduled episode coming up next week. Um, so this is pretty much going to be one of the very, very few times in history where I've actually recorded an episode of the podcast and put it out virtually uh, the same day. For those of you who don't really uh you know listen to this on the regular um i very very rarely do this i mostly tend to pre-record stuff just to fit it all into my hectic and you know time consuming schedule because of course i'm always writing and recording and producing and you know uh, you know releasing music and all the rest of it along with all the promotion and stuff so um of course uh, you know obviously as well as um you know my own day job and uh, you know personal life as well so basically without getting into all of that this is a very very interesting and unanticipated and unexpected episode today because uh, something has come up which i very much needed to discuss um many of you who know me personally um basically will be extremely aware that beyond music which is you know my single biggest and most most extreme passion out there at all um very very slightly under that just coming second to that is of course my lifelong love of video games and uh, i'm very much partial to many different video games there's one game in particular that i've gotten heavily into over the past couple of months and years and that is the doom franchise it's something i've always been exposed to something that is very very near and dear to my heart but there's something in particular that regards both video games um, such as doom and music which has come out in the news over the past 24 hours which is such a massive massive important issue i had to make an episode of the podcast virtually almost entirely dedicated to that and that is namely the uh, the statement which mick gordon the australian composer and video game music um you know composer extraordinaire who um, has famously worked on the Doom reboot, which came out in 2016, and the sequel, Doom Eternal, which came out in 2020. And uh, there's been some massive, massive accusations that he has levied against the game's director um, and ID Software, the developers of the game, in what is basically uh, set to become possibly the biggest music scandal in video games in recent memory. So that is a major thing that I'm going to be spending the bulk of this um, episode discussing. 
It's very, very pertinent, not just to me as an independent musician myself, but also as a massive fan of the Doom franchise and of video games. And it raises some really, really interesting and, you know, quite controversial, but also quite important things and topics to discuss. So, you know, we're breaking out of tradition a little bit this month, guys. We're breaking from the norm slightly. Um, you know, we're going to be doing a slightly different episode today. Hopefully you stick around for that. Um, also, we're going to have a few of the other usual segments as well, including me talking about my own music and what I've been up to recently. There's some interesting developments coming up over the next few months, which I really want to uh, touch upon as well. And we'll hopefully have some time for some of the other segments as well, such as the Metal Archives, Deep Dives and others. So without any further ado, guys, we're getting straight straight into it this month we're going to dive nose dive right in hopefully you stick along for the full ride and if you enjoy it please make sure you check the rest of the episodes out share this to your friends and of course answer the q a question on spotify as well which of course is going to be about this major topic that we're going to be talking about today which is of course doom and mick gordon's statement about some of the wrongdoings he uh, sort of went through during the creation of the game's soundtrack, but also the original soundtrack album as well. So hopefully that sounds interesting to you guys. This is a massive breaking story at the moment. It's all across all the other media, including PC Gamer and all over YouTube and uh, everywhere else. So we're going to be getting straight into that right away. All right, then. So here we are, guys. So, yes, after that brief little coffee break I just had, um, I just wanted to just obviously preface this and point out that this is a huge, um, a completely different thing for us. Um, um, at the time of recording this, um, the rest of the episodes, including ones which have not yet come out of this podcast season, um, you know, basically the entire season is already in the can at this point. I've already finished recording them all and I actually had no plans to do this episode whatsoever. Um, it's literally only because I actually stumbled across um there was an article in medium uh the website medium which mick gordon himself posted on there which is a huge like 12,000 word document which basically goes into all the specifics of this um and i you know i ended up finding myself clicking on it and discovering it i read it all and the more i read the more salacious and just completely infuriating it was to the point where I really had to say something about this and speak up about it. Um, for those who aren't aware, Mick Gordon is the basically Australian composer who has done, uh, you know, award-winning music for the recent Doom franchise um, video games since their resurgence in 2016. I mean, the first Doom game was absolutely amazing. I've always been a fan of the series ever since, um, you know, my nephew showed me the very first Doom on the PlayStation in, like, 95. And uh, since then, I've always had a, a, you know, a big infatuation with the series, and it's something that is very near and dear to my heart as a satanist and a video gamer and a lover of first person shooters and of course Mick Gordon has basically played a humongous part in helping Doom adapt to the modern era you know this is a game which um, it's a series where the previous installment came out in 2005 and although it reviewed well it didn't particularly you know you know, warm itself to fans, let's say, because it did break from the traditions of the franchise um, in numerous different ways. Um, but without getting into all of that too much, essentially Mick Gordon um, and um, his music basically forms a massive part of the current identity of the modern Doom series. Um, without his music, a lot of people would argue that the game potentially wouldn't have been as noticed or as sold as well and wouldn't have been as good an experience. So he is completely integral 
in my view at least, to the success of these modern games. And to be honest, to be quite frank with you, Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal are some of my favourite games I've ever played, and particularly ones that have come out in the past 10 years. I haven't got enough good things to say about them. Now, why am I getting involved in all of this? Well, as I mentioned, I read the article. It was basically worded all by Mick Gordon himself, and I just couldn't believe some of the things I was reading. So the plan for this episode, entirely different to every other episode of this podcast I've ever done, I'm actually going to be probably focusing almost all of the episode on looking through this document, talking about it step by step, and discussing any of the the problems that arise from it or some of the discussions that need to be had about this kind of thing you know I've seen it in the past there's many other independent musicians particularly ones that aren't even in such a high stature as Mick is I mean Mick's very very well regarded and well renowned in the industry he's developed a reputation for having critically acclaimed music wherever he's gone pretty much everything he's touched up to this point in his career has turned to gold including the likes of Killer Instinct and various other games he's been involved with and of course since the release of Doom Eternal he's also done you know, music and working with the production and writing of bands, you know, modern metal bands such as Bring Me the Horizon and others. So, you know, this isn't, you know, something to be sniffed at. This guy is a huge deal. And to see him get shafted in the way he has by a video game company, which I have up until now had a huge, huge amount of respect for, is just really disheartening, to be honest. So this is why I'm talking about it. So yeah, sorry guys, if you came to this podcast this week, um, you know, expecting me to talk about my own music, well, I might well have chance to, but chances are it will probably be at the end of the episode if I do. Right, so let me just quickly find the article again, because I promise you guys, this is stuff that you are desperately going to want to hear about. Um... So, to set a bit of groundwork and to give some of the, the backstory of this, I remember when Doom Eternal came out, I was looking forward to it for about a year or so, um, and it was originally scheduled to come out at the tail end of 2019, just before the Christmas rush, and uh, I think in November, which I was I was planning to get it for my birthday, actually, because it was November the 1st, of course, my birthday, I've just had it now, um, and I was extremely excited for the game, it was supposed to come out about a week or two after that, and then literally, I think it was like two weeks weeks before the um, the game was due to come out, uh, Marty Stratton, the head of ID Software, uh, the executive producer of the game as well, um, he basically the guy who leads the project, he's the guy who, you know, makes all the executive decisions and, uh, you know, basically is not only the leader of the game development team, but also the one who is the spokesperson, the major spokesperson for the press and for the fans as well. So he comes out a couple of weeks before release saying, sorry guys, you know, the, the pandemic's um, just starting to turn up here. We've had a bit of difficulty getting this sorted and we're going to have to delay the game by about four months. So I was like, oh man, that sucks. Um, and it eventually came out in, in March 2020, more or less at the same time as Animal Crossing New Horizons. For those of you who remember some of the, uh, you know, the incredible memes with Isabel and uh, Doom Guy slaying demons and rocking out to metal, you know, all good stuff. And that's some very, very fond memories I have. Um, um, and then I basically after I played the game for a while, I loved the game. The game was absolutely amazing. It surpassed all of my expectations. And I was heavily, heavily excited to also purchase the uh, original soundtrack as well. You know, in the years prior to that, I'd been, you know, raised on a diet of the original Doom 
soundtracks. And the Doom 2016 one was no exception. It was an absolutely amazing sort of, you know, really, really interesting and exciting, uh, at the time, very fresh blend of dubstep, industrial music, synths, and, uh, you know, gent as well, and heavy metal. So it was a really, really exciting combination. You can see why it won all the awards and, you know, it sort of catapulted Mick into the spotlight. So, um, of course... I expected the same sort of thing for Doom Eternal as well. Mick Gordon had proven himself to be incredibly good at his work in the past. And yet, despite all of this and all of the build-up and all the excitement, there was no OST, at least not for a long while. Um, and I was really, really shocked by that. And then it eventually came out, and it was pretty shit, to, be, to tell you the truth. You couldn't find good mixes of it anywhere on Spotify or YouTube. It looked like it had just been completely thrown together. And this is one of many, many problems that this post goes into. So, without any further ado, I've actually, uh, I've actually just been reading it again just to refresh myself for this episode, and I've had to scroll for about 10 minutes to get back to the top. So here we go. Let's talk about this top to bottom. And if you want to listen to or read this yourself, you can find it on medium.com. It's posted by Mick Gordon himself, and he states, my full statement regarding Doom Eternal. Right, so he initially starts off this post with a quick forward to say, this statement is issued in response to ID Software Studio Director Marty Stratton's Doom Eternal OST open letter, published on Reddit on May the 5th, 2020. So for those who don't remember, Marty Stratton, who I previously mentioned as the leader of ID Software, the game's developers, he basically... Um, as it turns out, he basically blamed a lot of the soundtrack's failings, um, or rather the original soundtrack album release's failings, on Mick himself. He put that totally on his shoulders, which came as quite a shock to a lot of people because Mick's always had an incredibly solid track record in the past. Um, and uh, it just, yeah, it just didn't really... We all knew at the time something wasn't really adding up, but we couldn't quite figure it out uh, as to why. But um, basically, Marty had posted a Reddit post... Um, and it called the Doom Eternal Open Letter, where he basically, he claimed to have been, uh, you know, really, really honestly and bluntly putting the way things had gone, being honest with the fans. Up until this point, of course, I had been extremely happy with the way he had handled everything. And, uh, you know, I watched videos of him talking about the game, hyping it up. He seemed to have an incredibly awesome, you know, manner about him. He seemed like a really, really nice guy, this Marty Stratton. You know, I had absolute faith in him. And, uh, you know, in all of his interviews and all of his comments, you really got the sense that he was a game developer who really and truly was an honest, you know, individual. He was somebody who was incredibly open um, and, you know, really, really cared about the game and the product and cared most importantly about honesty and about delivering something worth, you know, worthy of the Doom franchise to the fans. But uh, Mick Gordon basically states here that Marty lied about the circumstances surrounding the Doom Eternal soundtrack and used disinformation and innuendo to blame me entirely for its failure. Afterwards, he offered me a six-figure settlement to never speak about it. As far as I'm concerned, the truth is more important. 
Now, even from this first couple of uh, paragraphs, you really do get the sense that Mick Gordon is not out for blood here. He's just out for justice. And, you know, much like I saw with one of my favourite YouTubers, Actman, at the start of this year as well, with the Quantum TV drama. If you don't know anything about that, then, you know, please feel free to research, you know, do your own research on that and prepare to go down an incredibly frustrating rabbit hole uh, there. But obviously, the YouTube's policy is a different issue to this, but it's a similar kind of injustice, which I feel equally as passionate about um marty's reddit post severely impacted mick says both my own personal and professional reputation so this is somebody who makes music for a living it's his only source of income and despite trying his best to do the best work he possibly could for a particular project everyone was excited about when something goes wrong the leader of the game development company itself is the first one to start pointing fingers and start attacking Mick as if he, you know, it's all his fault. In releasing this statement, I'm exercising my right to defend myself. This is a defence, not an unprovoked attack. Issued with extreme reluctance only after all other attempts to resolve the matter have failed. He also goes on to quite importantly point out this statement is not an excuse for a hate campaign. Acts of hate dished out online won't result in any positive change. In fact, this only makes things worse. So here are the major bullet points to be taken from this entire thing. Number one, Mick Gordon's response is lengthy and detailed to prevent vague statements from turning into rumours and speculation. Very smart move. Number two. This statement is a direct response to Marty's false accusations and I will not name anyone outside those mentioned in his open letter. Number three, privacy. To maintain the anonymity of others, I've used collective nouns such as management, ID software and Bethesda to distinguish conversations between different teams. And it goes into a whole host of other things as well. Number four, I work as a contractor. I am not a ID software employee and I don't work from any client's office. I am isolated from the development team, living and working in a country on the other side of the planet. I rarely visit studios in person and communication is maintained through emails and calls. Number five, contracts are integral. Nothing happens without a signed agreement and all of this will basically come uh, come to light and make full sense later on. Number six, in-game score. A game's musical score is written specifically for an interactive music system and consists of hundreds, sometimes thousands of short audio files. The game's audio system plays these files in a sequence determined by the player's actions. Number seven, video game music contract. In-game scores, and this part is ex extremely important as we'll get into later because one of Mick's major al um, allegations here is that Marty Stratton and ID Software and Bethesda Softworks as well as a whole, as a, as a company, have not paid him fully for the music he worked on and turned in and completed for this game. The fact that something like this can happen in this day and age with somebody as well-respected and renowned as Mick, who's done such good work for the franchise, you know, loved the world over by fans, and they basically fuck him over and shortchange him and don't even pay him for half the music that he's done, is just absolutely mind-blowing. And I know you see this a lot in the music industry in general. You know, it's just a typical thing some people say of the gig economy. You know, you see people playing gigs and shows for free getting shortchanged and stiffed. Um, and, you know, you end up seeing all sorts of artists, everything from painters to draw, you know, people who illustrate things to musicians like myself. You see them getting taken advantage of a lot. And it's something that really needs to be cracked down on because it absolutely grinds my gears. And it pisses me off that people this talented who put such passion and dedication and lifelong hours into their work 
get fucked over by people who don't even understand how it all works. Um, so this is very important. So Mick basically says, in-game scores are budgeted in minutes. Lead developers calculate the expected length of a score at the beginning of the project and negotiate a per-minute rate with the composer, which is written into the game's music contract. Doom's, Doom Eternal's contract budget was 142 minutes. So in a sense then, Mick was basically contracted to produce just over two hours, around about two and a half hours of music um, for the game and get paid for that accordingly. As he goes into throughout the rest of this article, as it turns out, mismanagement combined with potentially nefarious uh, actions, um, you know, misdirection, um, you know, basically lying to the back teeth from Marty and others at the team ID software, it essentially paints the picture of a company shortchanging him and, you know, stringing him along. Uh, they basically what they ended up doing is they took various different music sections that he'd wrote and various full finished tracks and stuff. Um, they claimed as they went on that, no, this isn't suitable. This isn't good. Um, we're not going to use this, you know, reject this bit. So, you know, the good little musician he is, Mick goes, right, okay, I'll make something else. I'll make something different. And he works pretty much solidly for almost two years. Um, and then when the, the game comes out, I mean, this is two years removed from the fact, so we haven't even found all of this out until just now. But it seems as like Doom Eternal's developers essentially, you know, basically lied to him, to his face, in order to get him to create double the amount of music he was supposed to make for them. And they're not going to, you know, pay him for that. They're just literally using it all in the game and the soundtrack for their own ends. So this is essentially stealing. This is what this is. This is an example of a well-respected, well-renowned video game developer who have been at the forefront for the last 30 years, going to one of the best composers in the video game industry and ripping him off. That's what this amounts to. And I just it blows my mind that things have gotten to this point. <sighs> Iteration. Point, this is point eight, by the way. I rewrite the in-game score as much as necessary until the client is happy. Once they are, the client officially approves the final files. In That's in italics as well. Approves the final files, calculates the length, and deducts the minutes from the game's overall budget, then pays me accordingly. I am not paid for any rejected music. It is discarded and not to be used. Right, so let's get into the nitty-gritty here. So he starts off, sentence number one. Doom Eternal was a difficult project. When I signed on, ID Software handed me a music schedule that required two levels scored per month. Tight, but not impossible. But whoever dreamt up that plan did so in isolation because it quickly became apparent how disconnected it was from the game's actual development. Release was still two years away. The schedule, however, demanded I deliver a steady stream of final music immediately. Now, straight away, this, this strikes me as incredibly unrealistic. It's the sort of, you know, pencil-pushing um, Neanderthal nonsense you get from people who meet up in board office meetings with absolutely complete disconnection to reality and with no understanding of how music creation and jobs in general work in the real world. Sorry, just had to take a short break there. I mean, uh, I think we're pretty much going to be into this episode for the long haul. This is going to be an extremely long episode, guys. So, you know, I appreciate that. Please do bear with me. I apologize for, um, you know, the you know, normal service will be resumed next week with next week's episode. All right. <laughs> but 
I mean, I mean, I just need to take a moment just to kind of go over a few things running through my head about all this right now. I mean, the first thing that is at the forefront of my mind is what an absolute shame this entire ordeal is. Like, I am potentially one of the largest fans of Doom, specifically Doom Eternal. You know, it's like I say, it's my favourite game that I've played for years. As someone who's been playing games since I was five years old, Doom Eternal is the single best game I've played in probably the last 10 years. So it really does pain me to have to read this and discuss this, but it's important to talk about because as a, you know, much like Mick, I'm a freelance, independent, unsigned musician as well. It absolutely devastates me to see people, well, you know, who really do, um, you know, are good at their craft and they apply themselves really just getting messed up with stuff like this it shouldn't it just shouldn't happen and um i'm afraid to say it's basically soured my experience of playing doom eternal you know i no longer have any respect for marty uh, i no longer have any respect for id software which is a crying shame considering they are literally the innovators of the first person shooter you know they created the classic doom and doom 2 they did wolfenstein um you know i love all of the older people in there such as john romero um you know and the rest it's just it's it really does disappoint me on a massive massive scale and it just goes to show as well it doesn't matter like if you're a freelancer or you're an artist of, of any walk of life you know none of you are safe none of us are safe this can happen to any of us whether it's somebody just starting out with their small little illustration business where they're charging you know 30 quid for album art or you're somebody on Mick Gordon's level who's literally worked with some of the biggest companies going. It just It's just really shocking that this line of work is just so open to, uh, you know, to abuse. It really is. I just, my, my brain's having trouble fathoming it. Um, so anyway, to continue with the article, uh, Mick Gordon basically says, <coughs> so, um, Release of the game was two years away, but obviously the schedule dictated that he had to create two finished final, he stresses the word final, final pieces of music immediately. Um, and this is obviously despite the fact <coughs> that the games, one of the game's key features is that the music closely matches the gameplay. Yet, of course, at this stage in early development, none of the levels were finished. He, he actually says word for word. Um, you know, aiming to produce finished music for levels still months away didn't make any sense at all. To have any hope of accomplishing that, I needed to rely on ID software to provide me with materials illustrating the music's intended purpose. Difficulties emerged early on when they couldn't provide those materials in a timely manner. He gives examples. Most levels were still getting blocked out or didn't even exist, and the fantasy combat puzzle design philosophy wasn't yet clear. So this is something that a few people criticised, but overall I think was a good addition. In Doom Eternal, compared to the first game, um, uh, there's a lot more emphasis placed on platforming and puzzle solving and navigating the environments. You know, the, the environments are much bigger, the levels are much bigger, so of course the music has to adapt to this accordingly. It isn't just run in, kill a shitload of demons and then go to the next room, rinse and repeat. It's a lot more involved than the previous game. So, of course, the music involved and the creation of it is going to be a lot more involved as well. So, ideally, you would expect the game developers... I mean, these are game developers who have been doing this for 30, you know, three decades now. You would, have, you would have thought at this point they would have had some kind of idea about this. They would have known to anticipate this ahead of time and foresee these sorts of obstacles and, and problems. And, uh, you know, just to just to quickly break away from this just again, for just for a second, I've been thinking about this, mulling it over in my head ever since I read the article last night. 
uh, you know, I discovered it probably about 10, 11 o'clock at night. I was thinking about it before I went to bed. I was thinking about it before I fell asleep. I just had to get this episode out today because it's just so important to me that I really do talk about this. Um, he then says, um, the people responsible for capturing gameplay footage were only sometimes available and unstable builds often made recording video hopeless. And he goes on to say that various different details, including important elements of story, design, game flow and characters were still over a year away. So he says sticking to this schedule meant producing finished music when nobody had any idea what I should write. I tried, but Doom Eternal was already heading in a new direction, and my experience on the previous game wasn't much help either. He goes on to list other factors which also upset the early pace as well, such as contract delays on ID Software's side. This led to a late start, putting them behind schedule before they'd even begun, before he'd even wrote a single note. There was also a surprise two-week hands-on deck marketing interruption, which took six weeks rather than two. Slow communication is listed as an issue, um, you know, so, you know, when the company that you're working for is too busy to respond to basic questions faster than a week, when you're supposed to be creating two full-length tracks each month, that's a big deal. Conversations inevitably got bogged down with unnecessary arguments arising from unrealistic expectations. Um, for example, those of you who may remember, there was a video about it on YouTube as well, you know, Mick Gordon was pretty much incredibly innovative with this soundtrack you know he uh, he included a lot more guitars he did the much um you know much publicized metal choir where he got loads of famous metal musicians to do growled vocals and scream in a choir as part of the soundtrack obviously that's something that took a lot of organization something that's never been attempted before you know he got massive critical acclaim from people and people in the industry for doing that and it was incredibly good but he goes on to say that this this particular metal choir took months to execute. It couldn't be done in just the first two weeks, which is what ID Software actually expected. So clearly they have absolutely unrealistic expect expectations of him on every level. Two months in, it was clear to see that this schedule wasn't going to work. Um, the requirement to write, perform, record, produce, mix, master and implement two levels of music with feedback rounds every single 30 days that passed when the levels themselves were bare bone was completely ridiculous. It was simply too early to attempt finishing music. Um, I can fully empathise and sympathise with this. I mean, obviously, I don't work in the video game industry. I don't work with massive companies. I literally make my own music. But, you know, a lot of this rings true for me. You know, this is exactly why I am not signed to a label and I don't do live shows because I have to work within my own limitations and to my own schedule. Um, and I do very much the same thing, obviously nowhere near the level of Mick. Like Mick is a complete god compared to the sort of shit that I produce. No offence to any Infernal Symphony fans out there listening to this that listen to my music. And don't get me wrong, I love my music. But, you know, I could never compare it to something such as what Mick Gordon makes because it's just so, it's on a completely other level. It's so professional, so well done. Having said that, if you want to check out any Infernal Symphony music, I've just put a new album out last week for my birthday called Reverie of Damnation. No, it isn't any Doom soundtrack, but it's not, uh, you know, not far off. If you want to listen to any of my music or check out any of my other stuff, head to infernalsymphonyuk.bandcamp.com. Uh, that's the, you know, that's the inevitable plug out of the way. Um, but basically, let's see where else this goes. So Mick wanted to cause and create a solution to this big problem. 
Coming off the back of five other Bethesda-published titles, this felt like familiar territory. Most projects begin with an idealistic timetable, conjured up with a crystal ball that fails to predict the unforeseen difficulties associated with cutting-edge game development. So he says, normally this isn't a problem. What you normally just do is just adjust the schedule and get on with the job. This is exactly what he did with the previous game, Doom, as we... You know, all of us watched on the Doom Behind the Music documentaries on YouTube. Very, very interesting. Definitely recommended. Check them out. But for some reason, this wasn't an option for this game. They just suddenly, it seems like the development team just had an entire nefarious change of heart. They just, you know, were being very, very scrutinous. They're kind of coming across as a bit hard-edged. Uh, you know, just not really very easy to work with. You know, making things, you know, a bit more obtuse and difficult than they needed to be. Mick, for his part, clearly explained why the current plan wasn't uh, practical. Uh, finishing Doom, Doom Eternal's intricate music was practically impossible so early on. Levels were unfinalised or non-existent, meaning the context of the music wasn't clear. This is a huge point, and this probably falls on deaf ears to those of you listening to this who aren't musicians yourself. But it, particularly if you're making music for a, a project that isn't your own work... So, for example, working on something such as Doom, the context is it's all about context, specifically in video games. You know, there's no good making a battle music theme that's incredibly heavy and fast paced and, you know, with a lot of tension in it. If it's designed to be walking around a serene environment where there's no enemies, it just doesn't work like that. So, of course, you can see how he had problems even trying to figure out what to make because he didn't know what he was making it for just yet. So, as he quite rightly states, guesswork was his only option at that point. And he could see a future filled with rejections and demands for rewrites impossible to accommodate because the schedule was already crammed. There was no time for reiteration. The pace pressured by the audio team to approve music, deduct minutes from the budget and pay out milestones before having the ability to test it thoroughly. And there was completely no wiggle room either. Problems had already arisen from the failure to consider how unstable builds, video capture delays. So basically he's talking about there was already a shitload of problems happening early on as it was. Um, and of course there was no clear direction and no allowance to be made for other time occupying factors such as technical problems, team leads taking holiday uh, and so on and so forth. So essentially what all this says to me is there was a completely slapdash effort from the development team to actually have an organised schedule. There was basically no organisation whatsoever. Um, so Mick can hardly be blamed for any of this, honestly. So he actually proposed an alternative solution that reflected the reality instead. His plan mirrored a typical approach by defining the overall game's musical identity by writing strong reusable themes before ramping up production of final music cassettes nearer to the game's completion. So this is a very, very smart idea. Basically, he wanted to come up with the most important motifs and themes first that are going to be used the most regularly. Because, of course, that can apply in many, many more situations. Because, of course, when nothing's finalised and you don't know what's going to be kept in the, in, in the game and what isn't, both in terms of the music and the levels themselves, then, you know, just... It, it, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to work on the stuff that he knows is going to be the most useful. And this was a perfect suggestion, in my opinion. Um, the dates stayed the same, but the immediate pressure of finishing two finalised pieces of music per month... He wanted to get rid of that because it just wasn't feasible and it had already caused headaches. It was early in development and it was the perfect time to make the change. My proposal was easy to execute to fit the development schedule and budget and would basically result in a better product. He was confident the management would see the benefits and adopt the plan. 
He was wrong. <laughs> Marty himself, Marty Stratton, struck it down. He rejected the belief that the current schedule was flawed and suggested my act of trying to do something different or to do something about it was a sign of his own incompetence. Refusing to accept the reality of the situation, he threw the proposal back in my face and proceeded to tear me down for having the audacity to raise any issues in the first place. Um, this seems very, very out of order here. Mick was taken aback by the reaction. Uh, because, of course, th he's worked with this guy before. Just four years earlier, he worked with him to make the soundtrack for, you know, the first Doom game, Doom 2016. And that went more or less without a hitch. So there's just, I don't really see the reason why things are so different now. Like, what's changed in that time? Um, in response, Mick Gordon said he seemed to misinterpret the proposal's intent, or rather Marty Stratton seemed to misinterpret, you know, his meaning behind it. Um, he wanted to find an execution framework for achieving our ambitious goals, and that was all he wanted. So, Marty Stratton didn't reply, but the blow-up made it abundantly clear that the schedule wouldn't change. Mick was stuck with it, and at this point he was already pulling all-nighters two months into the project. He still had another 18 months to go. Wow. I mean, fucking hell. That just, the, you know, that brings the reality of the situation into focus, doesn't it? You're starting a brand new project. You're in it for the long haul. You know, you're going to be working on this for over a year and a half. And two months into it, you've already got problems. And the leader of the project is already blowing smoke up your ass and getting pissed off at you. <sighs> Bloody hell. So ID Software had already convinced themselves that locking the music on early would be a time-saving strategy, but basically, in the end, it was a nightmare and it actually turned out to make things a lot worse and a lot more protracted. The team didn't communicate properly, um, the musical requirements were set by the schedule, but of course the levels weren't finished, so, you know, it was just basically a big massive kerfuffle. Um, so Mick tried his best. Ultimately, he just ended up resorting to imagination to score levels from the future he couldn't yet see. Unsurprisingly, the game taking shape months later inevitably proved the guesswork didn't fit. Weeks of work got thrown in. Weeks of work got thrown in the trash, and calls for urgent rewrites came thick and fast. The project's demands began to pile up, and the schedule went completely out the window. And what frustrated Mick beyond belief was the fact that he had flagged these exact issues to the management as potential problems months ago. But they completely forgot that. They just blamed it all on Mick. So the immediate team members were sympathetic to him, um, but they were unsure of themselves, hesitant to raise issues with the upper management. So it just goes to show this sort of paints the picture of a workplace environment that is completely horrible. You know, there's deadlines, there's friction, there's tension. And you see this a lot in modern game development as well. You know, it's only just recently we've heard about all of the, you know, ridiculously incredible crazy stuff going on at Activision Blizzard. Um, you know, Bethesda themselves, you know, working on stuff like Fallout 76. Crunch is a real problem, both in the music industry and in video game development. You know, people being forced to pull long hours and work under horrendous conditions with reduced pay to try and get things done quickly, you know, to catch up on, you know, tight deadlines. It's just awful. And on top of that, if you're trying to do all of that amongst a hostile working environment, that can't be very nice. So if this is what it's like for Mick, just imagine what it's like for the people working at ID themselves. As development progressed, it became obvious whoever thought up the music budget also had no idea about the game's scope. The stages blew out in size far beyond what had been anticipated. This is what I sort of referenced earlier. 
you know, compared to the original game, which had 10, 15 minute long levels. Now for the sequel, hour long levels where players traverse fantastic worlds with epic vistas and tricky platforming sections had just 30 seconds allocated to exploration music because originally that's all they said that Mick would need to provide. And of course, they wanted him to carry on making these final tracks without any idea of how the levels were going to end up. And inevitably, they end up being much larger and bigger and totally different to what he anticipated because there was no communication, which of course led to the music being unsuitable. (sighs) And he points out, this is especially um, mind-blowing, Because the whole point of Doom is to have wall-to-wall music, so it makes this massive oversight seem completely laughable. Mick, to his credit, was able to convince ID Software to dedicate more time to these areas, but only after wasting time on unnecessary demonstrations to prove that 30 seconds wasn't nearly enough. So the fact that Mick, as the musician and composer himself, had to go to the development team and point out, like, come on, come on, guys, this 30 seconds that the contracts dictated for me to make here, it obviously isn't going to work because your level's an hour long now. And for some reason, even though they're the ones making the game, they couldn't figure this sort of shit out for themselves. That just, it just, it's, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I really am. Uh, so this was a massively overwhelming process. Mick Gordon worked completely straight for months. He desperately tried to stay on top of things and each week seemed to bring a new set of problems. Uh, he was withheld communication, weekly calls with the audio team, which he relied on as a source for crucial information, were hijacked by panic-stricken managers who didn't bring anything helpful to the table. All they did is just hiked up the stress levels. More crunch, less sleep. That is the words he ends that paragraph with. Wow. That is just... I feel sorry for the guy. I genuinely do. You know, you just don't expect this. You just don't expect anything like this at all from, you know... These are professionals here, allegedly, anyway. Now, we get to the important part here, pay issues. So, this starts off with a screenshot of an email from ID Software that Mick received from them. And it's captioned with, after working for eight months without pay, he was paid in January 2019. But after that, he wasn't paid again for 11 months. (laughs) I mean, what the... Wow. What the fuck? So arguments over pay began when ID Software threw out two entire suites of music written for the Super Gore Nest level and the Mars Core level shortly after the QuakeCon 2018 trailer premiere of the game. So the game hasn't even come out yet. You know, it's only early in development. The ID Software has just shown the game off to people for the very first time and you've got all the surprise and the emotion and the hype starting to build for this highly anticipated sequel. Um, and, uh, you know, Mick's been working his absolute arse off and he's barely got anything to show for it because of all the mismanagement and he's barely got paid for anything either. And this is a guy who literally is relying on this for his bread and butter. This is his paycheck to bring home to his wife and kids at the end of the week. I mean, the rejection of all of this music was bad enough. It meant scoring another four levels at the same time next month. But ID Software had also denied payment on the notion that they changed their mind and no longer liked the music. Mick argued that the music appearing at a promotional event constituted usage and therefore under musical legal requirements, they still owed him compensation. In this case, they caved. I mean, fucking hell, the fact that you have to fight for that alone is bad enough.
Oh, sorry if this is a uh, hard going, guys. I know it's a lot to cover, but uh, it's important to go over all of this just to get the full picture about what's going on here. Um, so uh, basically, at this point, let's just have a quick overview of what's happened. So Mix started the uh, music on here. There's been loads of mismanagement with the soundtrack. Um, the, the company's basically started to take a bit of a turn against him. And they also tried to attempt to use some of his music for a trailer at the game's reveal. And were initially you know very reticent to, to actually pay him for that usage which to be honest is a crime you know this is something where it comes under copyright as well as you know loads of other laws as well so we finally get to this point it's only a few months into development and already there's loads of problems and friction uh mick finally convinces them to actually pay him for the music they used in the trailer and they caved in but as development continued they gradually become more and more reluctant to approve any music whatsoever he delivered to them. As predicted, the audio team weren't willing to sign off on anything they couldn't thoroughly test, but of course they couldn't thoroughly test anything because none of the levels were completed yet, so they basically were asking for the moon on a stick. They basically wanted something which was had no realistic possibility of ever happening at all. Because of this, and all those problems that they created themselves and then threw onto Mick, they used this as justification to withhold approvals and therefore payment from him for months, which resulted in going 11 months without a single penny from ID Software. This caused uncertainty. Delaying approvals also kept the official amount of completion in a constant state of ambiguity. He kept writing and writing, working on you know track after track, delivering suite after suite, working as hard as possible, yet management constantly painted the progress as a total failure, and therefore an opportunity to chew me out with scorn and ridicule. They didn't want to discuss the fact that it was their own mismanagement and um, circumstances uh, like lack of, uh, you know, uh, materials for inspiration was still an issue um, they would basically just never offer assistance or put forward any solutions they just took the blame back on him um, so this also caused crunch as well blowouts rejections lack of approvals lack of progress endless demands marketing disruption and so on and so forth translated to severe crunch so at this point Mick's been writing music holed up in his, his studio for a, a whole year He'd been sleeping in the studio, away from home, away from his family, away from his kids, surviving on microwaved food and spending long periods away from his family. Uh, but now it gets even worse. Da -da -da -da. On June the 6th, 2019, during Bethesda's E3 showcase, Marty Stratton, the head of ID Software, announced... Doom Eternal will release on November the 22nd, and a special collector's edition will come out as well, which includes Mick Gordon's original Doom Eternal soundtrack. So the problem? Pre-orders went on sale immediately, a severe issue because customers were putting money down for a collector's edition item that had no way of materialising. The standalone original soundtrack wasn't in production and I hadn't been offered a contract to produce it and as he said at the start, without a contract nothing happens. They hadn't even talked about the scope, the time frame or whether it was even possible. Yet they're taking pre-orders for this thing, this nebulous mysterious thing which has no way of actually you know, ha happening. E3 events are planned months in advance, are well rehearsed and carefully managed but nobody, not a single person thought to discuss this soundtrack with Mick in any way whatsoever. He actually learnt about this 
from the media. They didn't tell a single fucking word to him about this. How is this even like something that can happen? I just don't, I just don't get it. So, of course, Mick's in the same boat as me here. Utter confusion and frustration. He sends an urgent message to ID Software saying they've put him in a massively difficult situation here. You know, we've got to come to some sort of agreement Im immediately to ensure that customers will get their product. Mick's constantly thinking about the fans and, you know, it's their hard-earned cash at the end of the day. They're going to be dropping on this product. He's just out for making the best product possible and getting it to the consumers. But there was absolutely no strategy for this. Marty Stratton's response threw me. For reasons I still don't understand, Mick says, he flatly denied me this contract and refused to do anything about the OST. He didn't want to cause a distraction. Didn't want to cause a distraction? Didn't you just announce this at E3, the largest gaming show of the year? Couldn't they see that this issue of taking pre-orders on a product without any agreement or strategy would actually not be able to deliver this? So Mick just basically goes into more and more detail about talking about the fact that he continued to talk about this with Marty. Marty didn't want to get drawn into this argument, shut the conversation down at every turn. Uh, he didn't leave me with an alternative plan either. Clearly, there wasn't one. Pre-orders sold out in days. So the reality of this was Marty Stratton has since publicly, re publicly repeated that he didn't want to cause a distraction, but the truth is it caused a massive one. The collector's edition of premium products sold for hundreds of dollars was advertised with the expectation that buyers would receive a copy of Mick Gordon's original Doom Eternal soundtrack, but without a contract to actually produce the original soundtrack, there wouldn't be one to include. So he's now under enormous pressure. They've attached his name to it. It's his reputation and livelihood that's on the line if this thing tanks, which of course it will do because, you know, ID Software hasn't even, you know, given him a legal contract to say that he can even begin work on this. He'd also be held publicly accountable if it failed, which of course at this rate, it looked like there was no other way it was going to happen. It was going to fail. Um, and of course, at this point also as well, nobody involved in the announcement seemed to consider consumer protection laws, which is another big area that were, you know, dangerous territory we're wading into now. So they basically put themselves in a position where they are advertising a product which has no way to materialize and if they fail to deliver on that they're basically opening themselves up to lawsuits as well as damaging mick's reputation uh this is something that the developers didn't think about at all they left it to the absolute very last minute to do anything about it as it goes into later and uh you know without boring you to tears and going through the entire thing word for word the big big takeaway here is the original soundtrack is a separate product from the game itself. It's sold as an album rather than as part of the experience. And this is something that couldn't be delivered because there was no contract in place to do so. And yet the reason for this, which is revealed later in Mick's article, is the fact that unbeknownst to him, completely out in the shadows, Marty Stratton had decided to use their own internal uh, music creator called Chad something or other, which we'll get into later, to make an alternative OST in case Mix didn't come through. But of course it isn't going to come through because he doesn't work at the company. He's on the opposite side of the world. He's had no communication with any of the people in charge. So they're setting him up for a massive fall. And then when he inevitably does fall, the leader of the company is going out to blame Mick himself rather than his own mismanagement and his own lack of finesse. And that just really just fundamentally pisses me off. And I'm sure it does for many of you listening to this as well. So let's scope out a bit now. Let's zoom out a bit to the wider source and spectrum of the game. The game was trying to get finished. The developers were crunching very hard for all of 2019 to try and get it done on time. 
as development wore on, tensions got really, really bad. They, um, you know, continuous cycle of uh, demanding music, avoiding approvals and withholding pay. Uh, when I put forward the belief that perhaps the game had enough coverage and it had enough music, maybe I am done. And the minute the allocation of minutes has surely been exhausted, they reject the older music to make room for more. So it was a continuous cycle of, yeah, no, we haven't quite got enough yet. Just carry on making, you know, churning away. They basically created Mick to be their own personal little hamster wheel to just continuously churn out top quality music as much as possible for the bare minimum. And that is just that is just criminal, surely. <sighs> they also threatened him with legal action. Of course, Bethesda has a big history, especially now being part of Microsoft as well, for having, you know, big very, very big pockets for spending on uh, legal firms. Um, they used that as clout to make threats towards Mick when he tried to argue his case about the, you know, the overarching and unnecessary demands they were placing on him. Now, this is a revelation I'd never heard of before. At, um, at this point, Mick actually considered quitting the job altogether. Now, this is something that doesn't seem to happen very often, particularly in Mick's case. Throughout his entire music career, he's never once quit a project. So the fact that he considered this tells you, it speaks volumes as to how bad this whole palaver was. At this point, he's been working for over 11 months without pay. He's been financing it all out of his own pocket. He'd committed to a bias, um, and he was basically worried that if he walked away, even though he really needed to, he'd actually lose more than he would gain by staying. So he kept working. By the time they got to October, which bear in mind is a month before the game's supposed to come out, he still hadn't received all the materials he requested um, over a year ago to that he needed to finish the music. And they also hadn't paid him since January and still refused to talk about the soundtrack uh, album as well. Just suddenly, six weeks from the release date, Doom Eternal got delayed into the following year. The new release date was March 20. 2020 which was five months away so this was the right call the game wasn't finished it wasn't optimized bethesda obviously didn't want a repeat of fallout 76 which was a massive travesty of a game which i haven't got around to playing yet um obviously it's been improved a lot since then but it left a massively sour taste in many fans mouths um you know another example of bethesda and mismanagement ruining an exceptionally critically acclaimed and you know universally loved franchise <sighs> Afterwards, ID Software rejected even more of his music. They argued they needed to claw back minutes to cover new requests for changes made late into the game because they're working on finishing it. New things are cropping up, new things are getting finalised. They need even more music off him to cover that. This turned the mood sour. The ever-increasing demands for work, coupled with ongoing crunch and lack of pay, had, this is important, he points out, had taken a significant toll on my family and me. I pushed back on the demand, telling I, you know, I've had enough now. I can't carry on working for you without any money. You haven't paid me for 10 months. No more rewrites, no more excuses, no more discussions. I need to be paid now. But no, according to them, he was the one being difficult. The word they used was Borlake. And they urged in no uncertain terms to carefully consider the destination my protest would lead to. So now they're twisting the knife in. They're going, right, you're the cause of all these problems. Um, you know, you're the one that's making this a big deal. You're being an absolute ball ache. You know, I just don't understand. And they're basically threatening to say, if you carry on making a fuss about this, 
about us, you know, making you work for a year without any pay, then, you know, we're going to call the legal team in on you. Getting threatened by a worker, by, by your employee, just doesn't make sense. At this point, you know, despite being a massively talented and successful composer, Mick's financial situation was very, very dire. And bear in mind, he's already very well off. Um, this project had been his only source of income. He couldn't afford to enter a dispute against the Zenimax um, legal machine over money. So facing the possibility of not being paid for the past 10 months whatsoever, he caved and carried on and carried out their final demands. The money finally turned up at the end of November and my family and I were very, very thankful it did. It was the first payment I've received in 11 months. ID Software stopped talking to me, but the payment had confirmed my role in the project had ended. He finished the project finally leaving, um, you know, feeling unhappy, empty and in a state of anxiety. I'd worked solidly and crunched for two years straight thanks to a rigid, brutal music schedule that attempted to finalise the score before the game was ready. Forcibly writing music without a clear purpose caused problems when ID Software inevitably rejected it months later, throwing it out with the unrealistic expectation that urgent demands for rewrites somehow wouldn't impact the already crunched schedule. I understand this approach was supposed to create efficiency, but in reality it was spectacularly inefficient. By the end of the project, I delivered more than double the minutes stated in the original contract. I mean, it's just occurred to me that we are, we've already surpassed the amount of time allocated to one of these Pestilence podcast episodes. I haven't even had a chance to talk about anything else that I was going to mention today, and I've still got a lot of way to go. So I think the only way to really wrap all of this up, I mean, I'm still only like, I'm not even halfway through the article, to be honest with you. Um, I don't want to just reel it off word for word. Uh, so I'm just going to skim read the rest of it and talk about some of the most important things that come up about it, because this is far longer than I remember it being. But I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. I hope it's really opened your eyes to some of the nefarious, horrible stuff that can go on in video game development and in the music industry. You know, nobody's safe. You know, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter how much status you have, how talented you are, um, you know, you can still get taken advantage of. And that is just a a very depressing and sobering thing to think about. so to just kind of cap a lot of this off, essentially the short version is ID Software went on to use nearly all of the music that he created um, over double what they actually paid him for. And this includes things such as demo tracks, scratch tracks, you know, stuff that um, was never intended for the public to see or listen to. Um, it wasn't an accident. It was a conscious, conscious decision. Um, because of course they took advantage of the fact that he was completely isolated from the team, worked on the other side of the world. He had no control contractually over how they used the music. You know, the music placement is the lead audio designer's, designer's responsibility. After he gave ID Software the music files, they decided how to use them and all of that content became the legal property of Bethesda. Uh, rejected tracks, mock-ups, demos, ideas, sketches, a massive amount of additional music well beyond the budget allocated in the contract, produced at their um, direct request, shared in good faith, but in ID software, they included all of it directly in-game, in marketing and updates without ever paying him for any of that additional music. 
Even worse, he goes on to say that ID Software to this very day still refuses to pay for this extra music despite the fact that their contract guarantees payment for any additional music requested beyond their original budget. So they've basically broken their legally binding contract there. They've basically just fleeced him for double the amount of music they were ever going to pay him for. Clearly, the cycle of demanding and rejecting music, avoiding approvals and withholding pay was a deliberate strategy to elicit enormous amounts of unpaid work to compensate for their budgeting and organisational shortfalls. He didn't find this out until much, much later. So I'm not going to go into the creation of the OST particularly much. Um, something needed to be done about it, obviously. There was no communication. Um, he decided to uh, circumvent the stone wall by going above Marty Stratton outside of ID Software and he spoke to Bethesda directly to report all of these concerns and request a contract to produce the official soundtrack. Um, so he emailed Bethesda. Bethesda very, very quickly responded, which was a very big contrast to Marty Stratton and his team. Um, they had an unresolved problem with another soundtrack uh, earlier in the, in the past. Um, well, let's just carry on to it. Um, Bethesda suddenly began selling the very same album that he created four years beforehand and crunched on time, and he learned about this through social media, and they still hadn't paid for that either. Uh, deciding on the content of Doom Eternal's original soundtrack was a crucial detail that needed to be written into the contract. Um, he basically, everything got blown out of proportion. There was tensions, there was arguing. You know, this is very, very tightly pressed against the deadline. Um, you know, basically, Mick's vision is he always wants to provide the best possible soundtrack, the best representation of the music, done professionally into a good standard. And essentially, they weren't allowing him to do that. Um, so the OST for the game was delayed before he even had a contract. Bethesda publicly announced on March 11th the album wouldn't be out on March the 20th as previously promised. No new release date was given because there wasn't one. At this point, he still hadn't even received the contract. So just let that sink in for a second, guys. I know it's been long going. I know it's been a, a big episode. But bear in mind at the very... Can you remember what I said at the very start of this episode? You know, how? You know, really early in development... Mick had foreseen these problems, raised them, and they'd gone completely uh, ignored. So, despite, you know, six, seven, eight months have passed at this point, you know, the soundtrack's been announced, pre-orders have been taken, they've been sold out on, many people have spent hundreds of pounds on collector's editions to receive the Mick Gordon OST, which, uh, you know ended up being a, a massive part of the controversy because, it, as we all know, it was delivered and it was extremely terrible and crappy because Mick had barely been allowed to work on it at all. Um, but this obviously still affected his reputation anyway because we weren't to know any of this until recently. So bear in mind that it's taken them eight months to get this soundtrack together and sell it as a product. Um, literally, nine days before it's supposed to come out, Bethesda announced that there's going to be a delay. And two days before the soundtrack itself was due to originally come out, that is when he finally received the contract to even begin working on it. Think, think about that for a second. A product's been, been promised for nearly a year, and you're not even allowed to work on it until two days before it's supposed to come out. In what kind of reality, in what kind of world, does that even make a slight bit of sense? He provides 
screenshot proof of this. Uh, he also goes on to say that Marty Stratton in his Reddit post uh, lied about this entire ordeal. He said that he basically pinned the entire blame on Mick Gordon very, very publicly, deliberately to damage his reputation. I haven't actually read the Reddit post myself, but it sounds as though he basically made Mick Gordon out to be unprofessional, unorganised, not very good at his job, and he lay, he lay the, the, the blame entirely at his feet. Yet Mick provides crystal clear, ironclad, screenshotted proof here that completely and utterly contradicts and opposes everything Mick, Marty Stratton has said. So I've lost all respect for Mick, uh, for Marty Stratton. I've lost all respect for ID Software. It kind of, at this point, makes me not actually want to buy future Doom games, despite the fact that they are my favourite series of all time, second only to Sonic the Hedgehog and Metal Gear Solid. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm a musician and I understand these issues better than some do. And I can put myself in Mick's shoes a lot better. But if I was in his shoes, I'd never want to work with ID Software ever again or play any of their games. And it sounds like that's what Mick's going to be doing as well. So he goes on to a whole lot more detail about making the OST. I'm not going to go into all that detail because this has already been a massive episode as it is. He couldn't understand why Marty hadn't told him about any of these problems sooner. If he'd been made aware of the consumer protection issue before signing the contract, he would have refused to do the soundtrack, but he ended up doing it anyway. Uh, in his open letter posted on Reddit, Marty Stratton later claimed that his decision to enlist Chad, um, bear in mind Chad is somebody who works for ID Software and did the actual soundtrack that ended up coming out that was universally panned because it was really, really shit. Uh, but meanwhile, Marty's saying that he had no other option but to enlist Chad at the last minute due to fears that Mick wouldn't make the April 16th deadline. However, Mick, in his infinite wisdom as a music musical expert, looked at the files of the official soundtrack, um, and basically this also proves Marty Stratton wrong as well. So bear in mind, Marty's basically claimed that it's Mick's fault that he wouldn't make the April 16th deadline for the soundtrack, but the files Chad sent me tell a different story, Mick says. Perhaps unknown... This is a very, very crucial part. Perhaps unknown to Marty, BWF metadata details the exact creation date, time and software used by whoever made the edits to the soundtrack that eventually ended up coming out. Metadata in Chad's files show he began work on their alternative OST as far back as August 2019 six months before I received the OST contract. Doom Eternal was originally planned to release on November the 22nd, 2019. So Chad must have begun work on the OST in August to avoid the consumer protection issues. At that time, I didn't, I didn't even have a whiff of a contract. I hoped to use Chad's edit to expand the album beyond the limited 12 song contract, but unfortunately the content fell far short of expectations. It was a mess. So all the musos are going to really, really find this extremely interesting. The edits had been eyeballed in a slapdash way by copying audio files directly on top of each other. What a fucking schoolboy error. I mean, I'm not the best at what I do. I'm the first to admit, but even I don't do this. Uh... So there wasn't even a crossfade to cover the transition between the copying and editing. This resulted in clicks, pops, clipping, abrupt tempo changes, awkward gaps and jarring transitions on a product that people have spent money to buy and has been promised to them for nearly a year. Some songs were just seamless loop files ripped directly from the game's wise package. 
This clearly isn't good enough. Trad's edits largely disregarded basic music fundamentals and there was no way it would live up to consumer expectations. Marty would later dismiss these legitimate issues and palm me off for drawing attention to them by minimising my position to an artist's perspective. But he hired me to ensure Doom Eternal had the best music possible and Chad's edited versions simply weren't up to the franchise's standard. The deadline was imminent eight days away. He didn't have the time or budget to address any of these issues, so he just crammed it all together, did the best job he could, stuck it together um, as to the best of his ability, crunched, worked over Easter. He didn't see his family all over Easter weekend. He was working 20-hour days, slept under his desk. Uh, Tuesday night... Uh, just a few days before the deadline, he emails Bethesda asking them to confirm the deadline. They emphasise that April the 16th is an absolute necessity. He barely slept for the next two days, focusing intensely on that date. The final hours before the deadline arrives, despite being worn down from work and the combined effect of two years of overwork and lack of sleep, production had gone well. But on the final day, I encountered a system-related technical problem. He contacts Bethesda to explain the situation. They luckily, for once, were understanding and granted a minor extension. But Marty himself personally wasn't happy at all. He demanded an urgent group call across three different time zones to tell everyone he didn't want these ten songs. He actually wanted other songs. (sighs) If you've been following along to this so far, guys... There's only so many times your mind can be blown, and at this point, mine feels like JFK's. Mick couldn't believe it. The deadline was five hours away. He'd been awake for days after working four solid weeks on this new OST. Ten months had passed since it first went up for pre-order. Despite ample time, Marty Stratton's incompetence hadn't given me any direction from the OST whatsoever. But now, at the absolute last possible minute, five hours before it's supposed to come out... He wants to finally do something about it. Mick says that he shot back rapidly crunching schedule and imminent deadline meant it was it was far too late for a change in direction. He'd prefer to use the little time remaining to work on the music rather than entertain this sudden last minute interest. Uh, Marty responded by taking over. He said, right, fuck you then, Mick. We're just going to release Chad's version instead. Hand over your tracks. Chad, our, our own guy, is going to assemble the final OST. Under the contract, Marty was guaranteed veto power and complete creative control. Ultimately, Mick's just a contractor. It's their product and they govern every aspect. He voiced anxieties over Chad's edits because of their quality or lack of it, hoped they'd improved since the week before, and he said the album should in, uh, they should ensure the album adheres to mastering standards and provided specific details in that regard. Mick handed over his tracks, wished them well, they approved their tracks and confirmed he'd met his, his contractual obligations The total contract amount, including the on-time bonus payment, was later paid out in full without dispute. The final album and its details were withheld from me and I wasn't allowed to hear it before release. This basically, all of this problems caused him to be unsupportive of the final product because he just couldn't do so. Because as a musician and a professional at his craft, he couldn't rightly put his, his faith and his good words into something he wasn't a part of, really. And, you know, it's just got blaringly obvious, you know basic problems with it that any anyone who even remotely understands how music production works would clearly understand so he's finally finished not just with the ost but id software altogether i struggled to understand why a challenging two-year development had ended with an unnecessarily difficult two weeks i was extremely nervous about the release and felt that fans ignorant of this situation behind the scenes would likely criticize the outcome 
Depressed and totally exhausted, I felt dragged down into futility after not having slept much in weeks. But even more seriously, I was just now becoming aware, through game-ripped music popping up online, of the sheer amount of unpaid music used in Doom Eternal. I just wanted to crash, but the situation was getting even worse still. Upon hearing the album for the first time, Mick Gordon's heart sank. Alongside his direct contributions were an additional 47 tracks. And these tracks weren't made originally, they weren't made well, they weren't even new compositions. All they'd managed to do was take his own actually decent, good quality, professional standards music. Uh, and they just basically poorly edited together bits and pieces of his stuff um, and just cobbled it together to make up another load of filler shit that, they, that was just really, really bad. It exhibits the same thoughtless disregard for basic music fundamentals that plagued the edits ID Software showed him a week earlier. In some cases, they'd actually been made worse, he says. The majority had been made by stitching together multiple audio files without even a crossfade to cover the edit point, resulting in hard cuts, volume spikes, and digital clipping. So this is no longer a demo. This is no longer, you know, the early stages of making the soundtrack. This is the final finished product that's in people's hands that they've paid good hard-earned money for. Many of the splice points in the tracks were made freehand, off-grid, didn't match up to time. This led to awkward transitions and tempo changes. Mick, the consummate professional as ever, was stunned at the ineptitude and he couldn't believe what he was hearing. Track after track was full of real obvious technical faults, mistakes and errors resulted from careless editing. Uh, just as one example is specifically he points out one of the most successful songs from the doom 2016 score bfg division barely makes an appearance in doom eternal the game but for some reason the song was butchered to make three entire tracks for the official doom eternal soundtrack wow why all this was included is beyond me there's simply no excuse for these crappy edits he states that he delivers his music in a neatly packaged wise file complete with tempo information, carefully crafted transitions designed to seamlessly react to the player's actions. And this is something that he, he basically demonstrates and points out that's something many reviewers have mentioned. ID Software would have had more success if they simply recorded the wise output. The fact that so many YouTubers have been able to construct far better representations of the Doom Eternal score using this exact method proves the point. And this is true. You know, there's many fans out there that have made better soundtracks for the game out of Mick Gordon's original compositions than the developers themselves were able to. And if they just took a bit more time and a bit more pre-thought and planning and communication was better, maybe all of this could have been avoided. Not only all this, but Chad was credited as a co-artist on the soundtrack, which very much pissed Mick off. Credit theft, the act of taking credit for someone else's work, is rampant in video game music. Chad didn't write, arrange, perform, record or produce any of this music. He carried out a copy-paste job, cutting apart finished music and resaving it. For this, the proper credit will be considered music editor. Yet in some cases, such as Erdak track 8 and Diagranak track 15, he did nothing but change the file name. This frustrated me immensely. I crunched for two years straight on my Doom Eternal score, and the fact that someone else thought it proper to take the credit for my work felt like a cruel insult. I mean, what 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 can you say about that, really? It's just an unfortunate reality that, it's that, as I mentioned an hour ago, this happens all too often in this line of work, and it's just so blatantly blatantly wrong. I just don't even understand how people feel like this is something you can get away with. 
Worst of all is the inclusion of hours of music and rejected demos I was not and still have not been paid to produce. Um, so he gives an example of a track called Final Sin Sandy City, which was a rough idea mocked up in haste for the ending cutscene. This exact demo file was immediately rejected by ID Software, and in fact Chad was part of the panel that rejected it. But he included it on the album, and not only that, listed himself as a co-artist, despite having absolutely nothing to do with its creation. More importantly, Mick states, the song is actually based on a melody written by Bobby Prince, the original composer of Doom 2, which came out in 1994, and Bobby Prince hasn't been credited anywhere on the album, even though it directly rips off one of his compositions, and the reason it does so is because this is a track Mick created as a demo that was never supposed to see the light of day. So in doing this, not only have they fucked Mick over, they haven't paid him, they also haven't paid Bobby Prince because of their ineptitude and lack of foresight and lack of any idea of how any of this works. <sighs> So he also goes in to talk about a Skype call that they had behind the scenes to try and, you know, resolve all this, you know, malarkey, try and, you know, resolve the soundtrack after people had already paid for it and say, right, we hear your concerns, everybody. We're going to work together professionally to fix this, get a better product delivered to you. And then that would hopefully be the end of the whole ordeal. Um, I've spoken for far too long about all of this, but the short version is Mick and Marty had a call together where they had an hour-long argument, they basically discussed things, they got pissed off at each other, but at the end of the day, they apparently came to some sort of conclusion to work together for the best and make all of this right. Two days later, Marty goes directly onto Reddit and throws Mick under the bus, unbeknownst to him, you know, completely takes him by surprise out of left field, throws him under the bus, you know, goes against him, goes behind his back, and literally just spent, presumably spent this Skype call just lying all the way through it. Uh, and that's just adding insult to injury. Kicking Mick when he's down, when he's already been, you know, gone through everything else we've already talked about. So uh, let's just try and round all of this off, shall we? Uh, I'm just going to scroll to the end of the article. I've still got a long ways to go. As I say, if I spoke about all of it, I'd be here for another three hours. Um, in an ugly move, Marty took to Reddit and posted to a company social media account about all of the, an extensive series of lies that blamed Mick Gordon entirely for the failure of the Doom Eternal soundtrack. He couldn't believe what he was reading. Hadn't we just agreed not to do this? He was absolutely horrified at him turning his back on him. Uh, everyone, of course, all over the internet was repeating Marty's lies as truth because nobody thought the executive producer, now studio director of a major AAA game development studio, would go out on a limb and post a series of false accusations on Reddit. This strikes me as very unprofessional in hindsight. Um, wow. Reddit's ongoing issues with toxic fandom and abuse are obvious, and the site's history of notorious hate campaigns targeting individuals in the game industry could not have been far from Marty's mind. In taking to Reddit with a need to lay blame, he endorsed the platform and endorsed the false assumptions made by the fan base and appealed directly to the worst aspects of it. Breached Mick Gordon's trust. Mick had been completely manipulated. Uh, lawyers now become involved. There was two serious issues here. Marty published a series of false accusations against Mick Gordon and ID Software had also shipped Doom Eternal with double the amount of music than they actually paid him for. Um, Mick immediately had his legal representative contact ID Software with complaints about both matters. This is eventually when Bethesda try and 
give Mick a six-figure salary, um, you know, a, a basically a hush money payment to make him shut up about all this abuse. Of course, Mick denied that because he doesn't want that hush money. He wants paying for the actual work he was contracted to do. And he also doesn't want to be silenced and gaslit and, you know, unable to do what he's doing now, which is telling the truth about what went on. So I'm just going to skip to the summary now at this point. I mean, I'm kind of sick of talking about this at the moment. It really pains me, as I said earlier, to go about doing this and talk about all this. Um, I love Mick Gordon. I love all the music he's made in the past. I also still love ID Software. I just really, you know, this has massively tarnished my perception of them now as a company. And it's all Marty Stratton's fault. That's where the book stops at the end of the day. If you're the head of the company, you're the one that makes the executive decisions, then um, ultimately this all rests on your soldier, you know, shoulders. And by the sounds of it, most of it was Marty's direct call anyway. Um, Mick briefly mentions the fact that a lot of people doxed him, shared his personal details, sent him death threats over email, harassed other clients and attempted to get him fired from other gigs in the future. They used his phone, they called his phone up, screamed messages of, of abuse at him. And this is all due to just making a simple soundtrack for a video game. And again, this is why I brought up the Actman Quantum TV stuff on YouTube earlier on, because it's a very similar story there. Obviously, the, the pretext is a bit different, but that also involves doxing and injustice. And uh, it's just a really, really grim thing to be talking about, honestly. Uh, I'm just going to carry on, carry on, carry on. Uh, so, yeah, at the end of the day, Mick's personal thoughts are he wished Marty had taken more time to consider better options before all of this. Um, he never quit Doom is one of the most important things he's highlighted here. He quit a toxic client. Now, that is an extremely powerful statement to make. Using non-disclosure agreements, settlements and gag orders to silence truths is an appalling tactic used by people in high positions of power fearful of accountability. I am choosing to speak out because the alternative was to accept that tactic as okay. It's time to leave this sad state of affairs behind. I'm forever thankful to the true heart of folks who have continued to support me and put their faith in me, even in the face of Marty Stratton's attempts to damage my reputation. I'm happy to say the projects I've been a part of since have been some of the most rewarding experiences of my career. And I'm grateful to those of you around me who gave me love and support that kept me together when I was coming apart. They didn't deserve to put through this either. I'm looking forward to the future and all the great stuff around the corner. Mick Gordon. So, wow. So there we have it, guys. So I've been talking for long enough. My throat's beginning to hurt. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. Um, as I say, it's a totally different episode to usual. Um, you know, hopefully I've provided some insightful and interesting commentary and my thoughts and opinions. Hopefully you found those useful or entertaining. If any of you would like to support Mick Gordon, go ahead and like his stuff on Twitter. Go and buy some of his earlier work. I wouldn't advise buying the soundtrack for Doom Eternal because of all of this, obviously goes without saying at this point um you know try and keep it nice and neat and organized guys you know don't be sending death threats to people or anyone involved or anything like that keep it nice and respectful um but here we go i mean this was me talking about doom eternal and uh, all the problems about 
the soundtrack. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it, guys. If you'd like to buy music which has none of these associated problems and directly supports a freelance, independent, lowly artist such as myself, then please head to infernalsymphonyuk.bandcamp.com. That's where you'll find all of our music, albums, singles. I've actually got a new, uh, basically a new EP coming out next month in December, which I'm going to be detailing over the next couple of episodes. Um, that's basically going to be a dungeon synth album, uh, and it's basically unlike anything I've ever made before. I wish I had more energy to be excited and talk about that all with you, but as you can appreciate, after this massive episode that was recorded entirely at the last minute, you'll have to forgive me if I don't talk too much about that right now. But stay focused on the Facebook page where you'll find all the information about that. And of course, on the Bandcamp page as well. So thanks very much for tuning in, guys. I really hope you've enjoyed this. I know it's been a bit of a slog, um, a bit of a weighty subject matter. It's not the sort of thing I normally do on this podcast. So if you're tuning in for the first time, hopefully you've enjoyed it and stick around for more exciting and different stuff going forward. But uh, this has been the Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast, a last minute bonus edition and episode called episode 3.5 of season three. I've been Demonic Bishop of Infernal Symphony. You guys have been amazing. Mick Gordon has been completely shafted by ID software. And without any more to say, stay tuned, guys. Look forward to the next episode dropping next week. And until then, Ave Satanas. Thank you very much, guys.